This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Hey, I'm Gabe Gonzalez, and you're listening to the Queerty Podcast, a brand new weekly show from Queerty and Forever Dog, where I'll cover news, politics, and pop culture impacting the LGBTQIA community. It's also a half-hour show, which you might think doesn't give me enough time to cover the news with nuance and embarrass myself in front of a guest, but I love a challenge. Today, we'll be talking about the controversial Sex in the City reboot, how one lesbian teenager helped identify white supremacists, and why a Celine Dion fan may have gone too far. We'll also be speaking with the hilarious and handsome Joel Kim Booster about swear words and the media's obsession with bad gays before playing a little game where we try our best to get him canceled. But first, a few headlines just to get you all caught up. First up, Kim Cattrall won't be in the Sex in the City reboot. Yeah, that's right. She won't be in it. Uh, and she's been saying the same thing for a while, but somehow we're all still surprised, even though she said no to the Sex in the City 3 movie several years ago and responded to flack about that in 2017. They all have children, and I'm 10 years older. I don't see them. Um, the common ground that we had was the series, and the series is over. So Cattrall says she's done with Samantha, claims accusations of her being a diva over money are not true, that she simply didn't want to do the role for Sex and the City 3 and presumably not for the reboot, and suggested that they replace her with a, quote, Black Samantha or Hispanic Samantha, which (laughs) sounds interesting, I guess. Wherever she is, I just hope Samantha found a friend group that doesn't spend a majority of brunch slut shaming her. My thoughts are with you. Uh, Next up, we've got RuPaul talking about Gottmik being the first transmasculine contestant on the show. RuPaul's Drag Race season 13 premiered earlier this year, and it features the show's first transmasculine contestant, Cade Gottlieb, who came out to his fellow contestants on episode two and said he prefers she, her pronouns when in drag as his persona Gottmik. This comes a few years after RuPaul faced some backlash in 2018 after an interview with The Guardian for implying trans women doing drag have an unfair advantage or take the, quote, irony out of the art form. But the show and its host have grown with the times. RuPaul told Stephen Colbert earlier this month, I walked into this thing with an idea of what drag is and the kids have a different idea. They keep changing it. This season, we have a trans man who is on our show who's competing with the other drag queens. And this man is fantastic. It did seem like RuPaul kind of struggled to remember Gottlieb's name, opting instead to call him this man. Uh, I'm sure we'll hear a sorry to this man soon. Sorry to this man. Um, But to be fair, this might be the surest sign RuPaul is willing to treat trans competitors uh, the same way she would anybody else who's been on Drag Race by forgetting their name. Uh, To be fair, if I were hosting a reality show in like three different continents, I would probably forget some names too. Her face and her job are spreading her thin. All right, next up, a lesbian teen outs her family members photographed during the attack on the Capitol. So Helena Duke was kicked out of her home for being a lesbian. After spotting those same homophobic family members that kicked her out in pictures of the violent attack at the Capitol last week, she identified them online um, very openly and without apology. While it's unconfirmed whether they participated in the attack on the Capitol, Duke was pretty quick to call them out when it seemed authorities might be looking for them. And look, I am 
super wary about our government deploying facial recognition technology or using the same department that locks up kids in cages to hunt down white supremacists. It feels dystopian and like a major invasion of privacy. But I do think that we found a viable alternative. Who needs AI when you've got angry queer family members? Personally, the only time I'd be totally down cooperating with the FBI is if it meant getting back at my dad. All right. Vengeance is a dish best served. Our fourth story of the day, Jim Parsons weighs in on whether or not straight actors should play gay roles. Uh, So Jim Parsons told the Los Angeles Times recently, I think the fight, as it were, is not about having only gay people play the parts, but to ensure that all parts are open to all actors. It's important that gay characters are portrayed as well-rounded and completely human individuals. I think Brokeback Mountain is one of the most touching gay movies and love stories I have ever seen. And those two straight actors, Heath Ledger and Jake Gyllenhaal, were the best choices for these roles, end quote. And sure, he's right in theory. The best actor should get the role. But how can they when openly gay men aren't necessarily being auditioned for gay roles? It's a struggle actors like Wentworth Miller and Billy Eichner have been very open about. And let's be real, I can't help but think about The Prom when I read this quote. It's an incredible film about two young queer women in love, but it also features James Corden. Uh, And I'm just wondering if James Corden was really the quote best actor for that role, right? Like a scarf and a lisp doesn't necessarily scream Stella Adler studio, but... I'm not getting this audition, so who am I to judge? And, you know, I do, I agree. Jake Gyllenhaal was really great in Brokeback Mountain, but bottoming after eating a can of beans you cooked over a fire just doesn't seem dramaturgically sound. You know, I just, I feel like a gay actor wouldn't have let that happen. And our last story of the day, our fifth headline, the story that never dies, and I really wish it would at this point, gays on vacation versus gays over COVID. Since the beginning of this pandemic, we've seen Americans acting like it isn't happening and going on vacation to different countries, particularly Mexico. But gay men seem to have garnered a particularly intense level of attention after accounts like gays over COVID gained popularity on Instagram. And it's a murky story, right? Because on one hand, it seems like a lot of the people traveling abroad are folks with money and access to healthcare that are willing to put foreigners at risk, uh, foreigners that might not necessarily have those same privileges. And it makes sense to call that out within our community. But on the other hand, these accounts have now put what seems to be an unfair lens on specifically gay men's behavior during a pandemic, with the story being covered on Good Morning America and sites like BuzzFeed. It's kind of expanded beyond the queer community, and it leads to a lot of troublesome stereotypes being perpetuated. Uh, It's fair to say that some of these accounts have also gone overboard. It's an opinion a lot of their detractors have shared with one gaze over COVID account calling for police involvement to stop gay partiers and another disclosing someone's HIV status on Instagram after calling them out. This is like a really terrible, stinky onion where nobody wins, Uh, but we will (laughs) peel apart this story how it impacts the gay community, workers in countries like Mexico, and whether targeting maskless drag queens is punching up or down with our guest. And I think now would be an incredible time to introduce him. He's a comedian and actor you've seen on TV performing stand-up in shows like Shrill or Sunnyside, and most recently on the Netflix series The History of Swear Words. He's also the host of the podcast Urgent Care with Mitra Juhari. Please welcome to the QWERTY podcast our very first guest, Joel Kim Booster. Wow. You thank you so much for having me. I want to kick this off with the basics. I've stopped asking people, how are you? And yeah, instead, you. I've started, right? I'm asking now, how are you getting through it? Right. So, like, what are you watching? What are you eating? What 
is getting you <laughs> through this pandemic right now? Um, uh, let's see. Uh, what am I watching? Um, like the rest of the most of our community, I am um, so thankful that they've decided to drop nine seasons of Drag Race um, <laughs> throughout this pandemic um, because I can't get enough of it. I, 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 like everyone else, was feeling the fatigue going into season 12. And then suddenly now I'm like, please, more, as many as many franchises as you can produce. I, I need it in my life to keep me going. It's the one thing that's uh, keeping me going. Um, what am I eating? Um, a lot of um, shitty food. Um, I'm I'm slowly learning how to cook. I definitely made some chicken breasts that I think had gone bad yesterday. So I'm still learning, um, but I'm doing my best. And what else did you ask me? Um, how, I mean, I'm, I'm getting by through like my PlayStation and television and pretending to read a book every now and then and um, just sort of bearing down until this is all over yes i love uh pretending i'm gonna read a book and then just using it as decoration in my living room it is like it's sitting on my bedside table so that every night i can look at it and pretend that i'm gonna do something edifying for my brain but and then fall asleep quickly literally look at me yeah pretending i'm gonna read this ursula k Le Guin book (laughs) it's just been sitting on my coffee table for two months and i'm it's not happening yeah uh, I've also been watching a lot of TV and uh, I did catch that you were on a new program called the history of swear words mm-hmm. on Netflix. Tell us a little bit about that was like, and if there were maybe any words that you had takes on that didn't make the cut or words <sighs> you would have included. Um, I mean, let's see. The show is a lot of fun. It was the very first thing that I shot um, in during the pandemic we shot it in may i want to say and so it was like Mm -hmm. the first time going back into a studio uh to do that so it was like it felt like a whole new world like everybody it was the first time stepping onto the set in covid guidelines it was basically me and the cameraman and a bunch of producers on zoom on ipads like (laughs) so it felt a, a, a little crazy um but yeah, no, it was like, it's, it was also like the nicest job to come back into because it was so chill. I mean, they literally just let us set us up and let us go basically on all of these words with very few prompts. And so there's, if, if it feels a little data, that's probably why. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I had a blast. I, I, I would have probably gone into, I would have liked to have talked a little bit more about like common slurs, you know, mm-hmm. like I would have really loved to talk about faggot. Um, yes. on the show and the evolution of that word and and um, you know I think it's a, a little probably too niche because it would it's so like you know talking about how we use it in the gay community and the, the controversy of reusing it and uh, not using it you know and stuff like that probably would have been really an, an interesting maybe not super funny conversation to have but um, definitely something a word um, that we didn't cover that I probably would have enjoyed covering. Definitely. It's funny. I literally just started it yesterday and I haven't finished, but it was in the back of my mind. I was like, are they going to discuss slurs? And faggot's such an interesting example because it's like, how do you kind of, uh, uh, I, I guess, limit that hate speech online when you can't tell if the person using it is yeah. queer or not? Like, sure. it's very, yeah. It's, all, it's, it's, yeah. When you flatten out the context online, it's, it becomes a dicier sort of situation in terms of using the word or not using the word. And so I, I tend to not pepper my tweets with that word and, and strictly use it when I'm around family. Truly. Yeah. I mean, same. It's, it's a word that I think was really painful that a lot of queer people have reclaimed and use as a, a term of familiarity. I think to avoid um, the sort of algorithm that wants it off Twitter, I've started spelling it like baguette. 
Yeah. <laughs> and I think it's just a very artful well, workaround. For me, I mean, it, it has a really special place in my life because for me, being a faggot means that I wasn't, I was called that word because I was not able to hide my queerness growing right. up, you know? Mm -hmm. And like, it was not something like, I didn't have the, the, the opportunity to really even come out in a traditional way because everyone was coming out like forcing me out of the closet from a really young age because I was effeminate I was you know um all of the the standard markers of queer you know I ticked every box and so for me it's like reclaiming that word now is sort of flipping it on its head and being proud of all of those things that made me it made it impossible for me to hide when I was a kid and recognizing that in other people who also had that struggle. So I get that not everybody has that relationship to that word and I'm sensitive mm -hmm. to that, but I'm sure. also not going to not use it um, for myself, especially. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's, it's definitely something that I, you know, I think we do need to be attentive about when we're around people kind of like being clear about intention. But um, again, it's like it's ours, right? It, yeah. Much in the way I think the word queer was used as a sort of derogatory or slur. Sure. And now it's like a standard in academia because yeah. a bunch of queers were well, like, we're and there are now. a lot of people who are a generation above us who really can't wrap their heads around using queer that way. Yeah. Um, so, you know, language is evolving constantly, ever shifting. It is beautiful that way changing and mutable and colorful and artful love it all right so we're gonna take a very quick break soon but before we do i want to play a little clip for you um and talk about it a bit so we're gonna play a clip and i basically would love for you to name who this is who they're talking to and uh maybe some of your thoughts oh boy let me give you a sneak peek you will never be president let me give you a sneak peek you will never be president who was that and who are they talking to oh my god i don't know it sounds like rosie perez talking to, like, <laughs> to talking to ivanka trump i don't know <laughs> Honestly, you kind of like you got the spirits aligned correctly. <laughs> like that is spiritually correct. It, factually, it was AOC uh, directing comments at Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz okay. during an Instagram live last night. Yeah, like, so I was sort of laterally. Uh, it was a lateral move uh, away from where I was at. Truly, absolutely. But if we could get Rosie Perez directing uh comments at Ivanka Trump in a yeah, in an Instagram live I would do that. Man, uh, I need to watch more AOC I guess cuz I did not recognize that voice <laughs> immediately as I should have. Yeah, I mean it was it, it's really wild cuz I think, you know, we kind of I don't know, we want to fight this urge to turn our politicians into celebrities, but yeah, I think absolutely. seeing somebody like AOC utilize social media so effectively um to share a very concise and productive message is like mind-blowing like she had over 100,000 viewers uh, listening to her last night talk about the attack on the Capitol, the need for impeachment. Like, those are like Z-Way numbers. You know what I mean? Yeah. Those are like <laughs> Brandy versus Monica on versus, versus numbers. Yeah. Like, those are, it's really impressive. Um, so that was, I don't know, that was kind of striking to me. That was a Tuesday night of this week. I'm, I'm sure it'll still be up on her Instagram account. Um, you can definitely catch news clips. Uh, I just thought it was a very effective way to kind of break down what's happening politically right now. Yeah. And I think it's refreshing. it's tapping into a disaffected sort of generation of people who are increasingly more getting their news from social media. So you might as well get it from, you know, a, a legitimate source of someone in government. And I, I really appreciate what she's doing. I mean, going on Twitch and playing Among Us too, like yeah. different ways to like 
go outside of the normal channels to reach voters and and get people you know excited about the process of our political system um and with that we are going to take a short break we're going to talk about sex in the city and drag race a little more uh, after that but right now uh, we'll see you in a bit And welcome back. This is Gabe Gonzalez, and you're listening to the QWERTY podcast. Uh, today, we've got a very special guest, Joel Kim Booster. We've been talking to him a little bit. Um, so, okay, I wanted to ask you about what has somehow turned into like the headline story on gay Twitter this week. Sex in the City and Samantha in the reboot. Are you a Sex in the City fan? Have you watched the show? I'm a mild Sex in the City fan. I'm much more familiar with the movies than I am. I've never sat down and like watched from season one to season whatever the end of it. But I've I've I have you know through syndication probably seen most of the episodes of Sex in the City, so I'm aware of it. Um, Samantha is obviously the best character in my opinion. Um, and she's the one that I relate to the most certainly and um, find uh, I think. There was a lot of, of, they did a lot of interesting stuff with Samantha mm-hmm. on that show, just narratively. And I don't know, I'm I'm a little concerned. I feel like, what are you going to do? How are you going to have sex in the city when you've taken out the sex um, and just Truly. left, you know, these yuppie women in the city? Um, so it <laughs> seems a little um, worrisome there. And then, like, you know, I, I've seen a lot of calls to, like, replace her with a woman of color, which, sure, I understand on sort of a surface level, like, that would feel really good to see some diversity on an extremely white show. But at the same time, I'm sort of like, those women don't have people of color friends. Right? <laughs> like, like, I've seen the episodes. <laughs> they don't have them. Um, so how is that going to work? And also, you know, like, who's writing them? And, like, I, I don't necessarily need that from Sex in the City. You know, I, like, I feel like we have moved on from needing, like, I don't know a lot of young people of color who are, like, looking for themselves in Sex in the City anymore. Like, it has its fan base and it, and it's a loyal fan base and it's a, a rabid fan base. And I'm sure that they'll be happy to watch the reboot. But like speaking only for myself, like I don't need some empty gesture at diversity from Sex in the City because um, I'm, you know, I, I'm pretty much done with it. Um, so I don't, I don't know. It just feels like that it would feel so craven in a sense to like just slot in a black woman just for the heck of it um yeah but i mean there's i i'm i'm speaking really way too soon it could be done really really well for all i know and i could be eating my words in a year's time when this all premieres and it's great and you know it's like they get they hire Issa Rae as a consultant and it suddenly turns <laughs> into an amazing you know um uh arc for some talented actress but um no. i don't know i i'm i'm a little dubious I mean, I feel the same way. And I think even even that idea of a quote unquote black Samantha or a Hispanic Samantha just kind of like robs any actor of color who would take on that role because then it's like, okay, well, you're the Samantha. Samantha yeah. You're not you. You're the like Pac version of this yeah. white archetype that we need to fill. And right? the last thing I need is to see like, so, like to have someone on that show, like teaching the other women constantly, oh, you know, truly. like truly. 
the the part of the the joy of Samantha is how messy she was and like mm-hmm. unless that character gets to be as messy and as imperfect and as you know as as Samantha was then I don't need it like I, I'm just so concerned that like if they did add a woman of color they would be like the you know the perfect character and that's not mm-hmm. like it's so uninteresting and it's such a you know in, in its own ways a damaging trope that we see on television a lot is like when the one person of color has to be this paragon of perfection on television it's annoying and it's not realistic and it's not what i don't i don't think any of us want to see it no absolutely and i think you touched on another thing too that was so important part of the show's appeal is a sort of uh, nostalgia right it's like watching carry smoke at a baseball stadium and complain about the mayor it's like you know what i mean like we did that new york doesn't exist anymore it's it's very escapist in that way and I, i think grounding these characters that we kind of give a pass because they're rooted in our past mm-hmm. feels very uh, slippery and maybe a bit dangerous, right? It's yeah. like, how how do you bring these women who with 2020 hindsight seem very tone deaf, at times transphobic, at times a bit racist? How do you bring them into the 21st century in a way that doesn't feel like we're watching a bunch of rich, yuppie right. anti-heroes like stumble their way into learning to be good at the expense yeah. of like Jennifer Hudson again? You know what I mean? Like. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> oh, truly the best thing to happen to those movies. All right. Yeah, I don't want to rehash this too much. I think you're right. I think let's wait for it to come out. Um, I've been skeptical of a ton of reboots that truly, truly surprised me and exceeded my expectations. Like so what? I'm going to hold my tongue. I'm a little biased, but I really... Okay, so my brother's writing on it, so take this with a grain of salt, but I really, really genuinely liked the Saved by the Bell reboot. Oh my God. It's so, so great. smart. So it's funny. It's so great. Josie Toda is... So incredible on that show. Um, I think it is. She's it's like Jan Krakowski on 30 Rock. She is so funny. And the whole the rest of the cast is brilliant as well. I just I I think it is you don't sleep on on Saved by the Bell. Yeah, I was really impressed. And I think um it, it was also really refreshing to watch um people sort of not get pigeonholed into being like the one mode of representation. Right. The idea that Daisy and Aisha are both Latinas of different racial backgrounds, of different ethnicities. Um, and they still have this really strong friendship and can kind of... And they uh, still get yeah. jokes, too. That's yes. the other thing that I was really concerned about watching the pilot. I was like, oh, God, are they just going to make these these kids like the goody-goodies mm-hmm. who, who are sort of like the straight man to the rest of these, you know, outlandish, you know, characters? Um, and no, as the series goes on, they all get jokes. They all get to be funny. And I think it's, it's wonderful. Uh, all right. And we've got one more story I would love to talk to you about um, before we get into this game I'm calling Let Me Get You Cancelled. And oddly, this is kind of a heavy one. I And so, you know, maybe we don't want to linger on it too much, uh, but that's entirely up to you. It's, as I called it, the story that never dies, a sort of ongoing conversation surrounding these Instagram accounts calling yeah. themselves gays over COVID. Uh, what's What's your recap and sort of feelings about this ongoing saga? Yeah, you know, it's tough. It's a really tough, nuanced situation. And I think that's why we keep talking about it because it's not an easy, there's no easy, like hard line answer for, um, I think how uh, to talk about what it is and how to feel about it. I mean, my thing is, is I genuinely sort of am at the point where I think it's sort of a root for no one situation, because here's the thing. I I am not partying. I'm not going to Puerto Vallarta. I'm not, you know, I'm I'm sheltering in place and miserable just like everybody else who's taking this seriously. Um, but at the same time, I, I'm a little concerned about 
the way this kind of behavior gets pathologized specifically to our community when straight people are also going to Puerto Vallarta, also partying. There yeah. are huge warehouse parties happening in LA that are being, you know, uh, staffed by off-duty police officers in LA. And no, and like I've saw one tiny news story about that. Meanwhile, the Puerto Vallarta cruise ship sinking is like all over the mainstream media. And it is frustrating to me that, and this isn't necessarily gays over COVID's fault, right? But it is it is frustrating when the conversation seems to be around that gay men are more likely to be irresponsible in this era right. of COVID than your average straight person, which I just don't think is true. And I'm a little bit dubious about the effectiveness of public shaming in terms of uh, altering someone's behavior. I, I, I find the research around, for instance, and this is not a one-to-one -one comparison and don't, mm -hmm. I'm not trying to say that, but like, I mean, you look at the way um, research has shown that like fat shaming people does not help them lose weight. In fact, shaming people oftentimes reinforces negative behavior. Um, it just doesn't work. And so I'm not sure what the answer is because I don't think that people should be going to party. I don't think that people um, should be post. Certainly it drives me fucking nuts that people post about it. It's like, if you're going to do yeah. it, why are you posting about it? Yeah. it the, that, that sort of uh, reveals a, an underlying sickness, I think, in some of these people um, that just really demonstrates how diseased, you know, we are when it comes to social media in general. But um, yeah, I just, I don't know. It's, it's really tough because I don't know what the answer is. And I find it's really, really icky, the stuff about doxing people with uh, their HIV status. I mean, and it, but yeah. ultimately like that is that is for me like where all of this is heading. That, that mm -hmm. was the inevitable like sort of endpoint for this kind of like mindset around um, sort of going after all of these people. I, I, I don't know what the answer is though. I really don't. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's really difficult because I think when you zoom out big picture, it's like, obviously I feel rage when I too am quarantining at home, when my family members in Florida are suffering, having had COVID and thankfully gotten through it. Like it is infuriating for me to see people outside. But at the same time, when I kind of zoom out, I'm like, well, what's enabling people to go outside? It's, it's this lack of direction of uh, consistent guidances from our government yeah. or, or any rules. And so, you know, it's, it's, it kind of in our rage, I think we look for somebody to lash out at. And I, I think people have to bear an unfair level of responsibility during this pandemic because we've seen governments around the world not handle this well. Yeah. <laughs> and and ultimately, and I, I think that the bigger concern in terms of like spreading and who are who's actually getting the disease. I mean, obviously, a lot of these events are super spreader events in Puerto Vallarta yeah. and whatnot and fire. I, and I had the same, you know, beef around the, sort of the media attention around the meat rack party that happened over the summer. Right. Mm -hmm. But like, for me, it's like, you know who I, I'm more concerned about is, is all of the essential workers that can't stay home, but exactly. specifically like the people that are being that are working restaurant jobs who have to go to work because there's no support from our government in terms mm -hmm. of, you know, pay people to stay home and cancel the fucking rent. Like that, yeah. like if you want people to stop getting this disease, like make it so that they don't have to go out of their homes. And and then if that were all happening and and gays and gays were still partying in Puerto Vallarta and that were the number one cause of spread, then yes, I would be all about like leading the charge in terms of the shaming campaign. But it 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 just for me, it feels like our attentions could be elsewhere. And I don't know. It's it's frustrating.
No, it's a, it's a really valid point. I, you know, I think part of my frustration too, is that like in Mexico, a lot of the Americans that you're seeing visiting are, like I mentioned earlier, people who have disposable income, can work from yeah. home, do have healthcare. And so to me, it's like, it's this kind of um, lack of empathy for workers in these countries that you're visiting or places that you're visiting who don't have the same options or the same security. And so it's like the instinct is to be like, hey, you know, call that out. But then at the same time, it's like, damn, am I feeding into these stereotypes? Am I enabling this media obsession with like pathologizing gays as deeply irresponsible or self-hating or whatever? Um, and it just sucks that I feel like we can't talk about it because some like straight lady on Good Morning America is going to pounce on it and yeah. turn it into, you know what I mean? It's yeah. just like, it sucks. It really I does. wish there was a way to make sure that only gay people listen to this podcast. Because yes. only, if you're straight right now, turn it off, man. Turn it off. Get out of here. Um, well, thank you for that. I, I really appreciate you uh, weighing in with some thought and and care and empathy. I I know you try to tackle a lot of issues in that way, especially on Twitter, which is not always the best place for <laughs> empathy and nuance. So I appreciate you. Thank yeah. you for that. Um, and, you know, after that tender, kind, vulnerable moment, um, I'm going to pivot to making your life miserable again. Okay, you ready? Can't wait. Yeah. Okay, fantastic. Um, so we are going to play a little game that I like to call Let Me Get You Cancelled, in which we will introduce a terrible take from the week, be it an op-ed, a tweet, uh, an opinion, whether joking or serious. And we're going to make our guest defend it. Okay. All right. <laughs> because you are our first guest... I'm oh, going to give know. you an option. I know. Yeah. You are, we're blazing the trail with you. You've popped the cherry, so to speak. I hate that phrase. It's so creepy. Never mind. But um, yes, you are our first guest. And I would like to give you uh, a little leeway because of that. All right. So uh, you will get to choose who you're defending. And then I will give you the prompt for okay. how you need to defend them. Okay. So um, you can either defend. Uh, denying frontline workers early COVID vaccines or Ronald Reagan? Oh, boy. Um, let's go for fucking broke and let me defend my daddy, Ronald Reagan. <laughs> ah! Okay. All right. I am thrilled this is going to be chaotic. Okay, so here's your prompt. Earlier this week, after the violent attack on the Capitol by white nationalists, the National Review published an op-ed claiming the cure for Trumpism is Reaganism. Ronald Reagan, as we know, is a president beloved by the queer community and famous for his expert handling of pandemics and attempted coups. So in 30 seconds, please list five reasons Ronald Reagan is exactly the president we need right now. Okay, so uh, I'll be timing you. And uh, whenever you're ready, we can get started. Well, first of all, Ronald Reagan is an actor and the, the next president needs to have some Hollywood experience. I want to see roles. I want to see uh, movies, television, uh, new media on the resume before he's our next president. He's Ronald Reagan was a snack too. Let's uh, point number two. I want to see someone who is smoking hot in the White House. Um, Ronald Reagan had Alzheimer's secretly in the White House. So I definitely want someone who's going to forget Three, um, everything in two, the White one. House. Nancy Reagan, I mean, be married to one of the top <laughs> villains of our time. Like the worst, I want you to have a terrible first lady. And that is why I think Ronald Reagan is should be <laughs> someone like that should be our next president. Thank you so much, Joel. That was I only got four out, but... 
it's fine. I saw I you counting. Were, yeah. Yeah. Maybe we'll give people 60 seconds next time. I just really <laughs> wanted to see you flail is what it comes down to. <laughs> well, thank you so much for choosing Ronald Reagan. Truly, yeah. um, the one clip I'm going to demand that we pull and post all over the internet with no context. So just so you, my daddy, Ronald Reagan. Yeah. My daddy, Ronald Reagan <laughs> says out and proud gay comedian, Joel Kimbooster. Out and proud faggot, Joel Kimbooster. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love it. Okay. So um, we are going to end the show with one little bit of weird news that I would also love to get your opinion about. Um, and then we are going to plug your socials and make our very graceful exit after having made you talk about so many things that um, I think <laughs> the internet will be angry about. And I'll take that flack for you too. I'm an thank enabler. Oh, I was complicit, you. you know? Ivanka's not the only one. All right, so I want to end every show with a little bit of weird news, bizarre stories that seem to defy any rationale or logic. And this is maybe one of the least weird things I think I've ever read on Queerty, but it's definitely a strange one. Um, and we're going to talk about it. So a man in the UK changed his name to Celine Dion. This super fan, formerly known as Thomas Dodd, uh, who I believe changed his name back to Thomas Dodd, got really drunk one night, was apparently watching a Celine Dion concert, and went online uh, to change his name. He paid 120 US dollars or 89 pounds to change his name online because you can do that in the UK. So on the one hand, this story kind of frustrated me because it reminded me of how wild it is that we make trans people in the US <laughs> jump through hoops for a name change. It even reminds me of my mom who had to like pay money she didn't have and jump through hoops to change her name after a divorce. But then like the gay in me wondered if I got drunk, <laughs> which celebrity would I choose? Oh man, that's a tough one. But I can't believe I can't believe it's so easy. They should make it harder to change it back too. Right? I'm it's like, like you should, don't be yeah. a quitter. Your name is Celine Dion now, my man. Like, just live with it. I guess I would go with something um a little strange. I would I would go with like um a Miley Cyrus. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. Something I like I like the name Miley. It's it has like a sort of a nice twang to it. Um <laughs> it's fun, yeah. And then you get sort of, you get to co-opt Hannah Montana too. You get, it's two names in one, really. That's true. You could be like, I'm I'm Miley, but you can call me Hannah and yeah. everyone will get it. I really, really love that. Oh, that's fantastic. I've been thinking about mine too. I, I feel like I want to go with like a Puerto Rican icon mm. just to like, you know, really dive in. There's this one uh, actress, dancer, singer named Edis Chacon, which I would just love to watch gringos try to pronounce. <laughs> Yeah, are you familiar with her your eyebrows yeah. raised oh my god she's amazing she was like just very much owned her sex appeal and her body and unapologetically was very open about how attractive she was and her talents and her body she, like she was a, a a performer that really owned her sexuality and what's wild is that like she like her range was like that in the 70s and 80s and then um, I think she was like on a Nickelodeon show in the late '90s or early 2000s as well, playing like the fun next door neighbor, Gullah Gullah oh. Island. That's okay. what it was. Love that. But my favorite thing is that she used to do this commercial for coolant, like car coolant, and it would be her leaning over, putting coolant into the car, and people would walk up and be like, "Wow, tremendo coolant," which is like <laughs> amazing coolant, but it sounds like culo in Spanish, and that was like 
the commercial in Puerto Rico for years. Like everybody knows that. <laughs> Very roundabout way of saying, I want to pick that obscure name is what I'm getting at here. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'd go for like a JLo and just like, you know, make it accessible to him. Well, Joel, thank you so much for joining us today. I couldn't be more thrilled that you are our very first guest. I really appreciate you joining us. Thank and you uh, absolutely. Before we head out, I would uh, I would just like to ask Joel, where can people find you? Plug your socials, your websites, your projects. They where can, can you get more? At- at I hate Joel Kim on Instagram and Twitter. Um, they can see me um, on the history of swear words on Netflix right now. They can hear me on big mouth on Netflix right now. Um, and they can also listen to urgent care uh, wherever they get their podcasts. Awesome. Amazing. Uh, and you can also find me on social media using the handle gay bones, G a Y B O N E Z that works for Twitter and Instagram. It's not a weird sex thing. It's a, it's a nickname I got in my college improv group and I, I didn't think would follow me around into my professional <laughs> career. This is what happens when you get a it's Twitter a self-inflicted problem. wound. You chose the screen name. Really? Yeah, I did. I chose the name and I got to live with it. Right. Yeah. Somebody talk to Celine Dion. <laughs> uh, and, and please make sure to support the QWERTY podcast. If you're listening today and you liked what you heard, subscribe, rate and review our show right now on Apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, you know, five stars is cute, but keep it honest, keep it productive, keep it kind. I would love to hear what you're thinking. Uh, as we embark on this journey together because this is our very first episode and you can get your QWERTY fix every day at QWERTY.com you can find a bunch of the stories that we've covered and talked about today covered there as well QWERTY has been a joint production between Forever Dog and Q Digital QWERTY is hosted by me Gabe Gonzalez produced by Andrew McGuire engineered and edited by Shireen Lani Yunez music by Gabe Lopez executive produced by Joe Cilio Scott Gatz John Halbach Dan Tracer and Melissa Mons Forever Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook.